So we're going through a series on spiritual disciplines. We're trying to do it Exodus style. We've covered simplicity, the discipline of prayer. Last week, we covered the discipline of meditation. Tonight, we're going to talk about silence and solitude. But I want to really struggle with an issue that we haven't really broken through. You know, some of you think that the only time we struggle with issues is in here, where you guys talk back and we wrestle with things together. But it actually goes on during the week. We've had, I've had conversations with people during this week about some of these topics. I've actually gone back and done more research about some of them because I feel like there's an issue we still haven't really hit hard. Really trying to understand why we're doing this study because this group is very good at the intellectual and, the, and, and, and looking for the practical stuff and it hasn't sunk in. To see if we can get it to sink in. Now you know these are all review stuff, so I'm just going to skim through them real fast. We've said a number of times that the reason we want to study these things is this is something practiced by the early church. We want to remember what they were for and recover the beauty of them. We want to free ourselves from constantly having to think that spiritual disciplines, when we hear about them, that we have to be doing all of them all the time. And we kind of carry them around like a big load, like a, like a guilt thing, and we have to juggle them. We also said that we want to correct the notions that the disciplines are an end in themselves. We ask people, like, are you fasting? Like, that's the end of the deal. Or are you praying by itself without understanding what it's for, what it's supposed to do in us? And ultimately, we said all of the disciplines come down to a, we're seeking spiritual transformation. Our group is having a hard time understanding exactly what that is. I think that we have a hard time because we live in a very material world. We're used to the things we touch. We're used to the things that we see. We're not as comfortable dealing with the spiritual aspects of our nature. It's one of the reasons that the disciplines can help. I wrote that the disciplines help us create the best environment for spiritual transformation. Okay, there's that word again. What spiritual transformation? There's so many different words that have been used as synonyms, but what are we looking at practically, not definitionally, just practically, what's the problem? Here's a problem in my life, for example. Maybe this will help clarify it. I'm often struggling with things and trying to change them, and I'm trying to do all the work, and they're not changing. I struggle with lust. I struggle with envy. I struggle with covetousness and, and those kinds of sins, and I'm trying to change by just sheer force of will, and it doesn't happen. I keep breaking down. You could recognize it if you saw somebody who was addicted. You'd say, well, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to stop, right? But until something changes inside, they're not really going to stop. It's hard. They're just by their own sheer force of will trying to change. Whatever the thing is that we struggle with, we could try, but true inner change is God's domain. True inner change in our heart is where we turn away from the thing because we no longer even desire it. We're not trying to fight against it. Our desire for it is leaving. I was reading a story this week about a woman who lost her sense of smell. She was in an accident. And I don't know exactly how this happened, but she hit her head so hard that it did something to her brain, wherever the part of the brain is where you have a sense of smell. And she lost the sense of smell. What she was describing that was so interesting was how she stopped wanting to eat. Because you know that so much of the way that we taste things comes from smell. I was thinking, man, I wish I could get that. That'd be awesome, you know? Like, you could just, like, instead of, like, struggling all the time with, like, oh, I shouldn't eat that, I shouldn't have this, I shouldn't do that. Like, imagine if you just couldn't smell anymore. Then I thought, you know, like, walk around your whole life, like, with a mask on or something, right? 
but she lost the desire for it. Now, it's kind of a loose analogy, but it made me really think as I walked through that in my head, like, yes, that has been my problem. That's all of our problem, is we're trying to struggle against sin on our own. We're trying to just say, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to be that way. We're trying to remake our nature from the outside instead of really letting God do the work on the inside so that we lose that completely. Richard Foster in Celebration of Discipline has this quote. Anthony, go to the next slide and show this. It says, our ordinary method of dealing with ingrained sin is to launch a frontal attack. We rely on our willpower and determination. Whatever may be the issue for us, anger, fear, bitterness, gluttony, pride, lust, substance abuse, we determine never to do it again. We pray against it, fight against it, and set our will against it, but the struggle is all in vain. And we find ourselves once again morally bankrupt. Why? Because we haven't really changed on the inside. And that's what the spiritual disciplines do is they just open the door to allow us to change on the inside. But we're not doing the changing. We said this last week, righteousness is really a gift from God. And I put the words inner righteousness, and last week I think it was Brittany who asked, like, what does that mean? Well, now you can see it contrasts a little bit with that kind of outer style righteousness. That's us working on the outside, trying to make the difference, trying to look a certain way, trying to fight, even sincerely trying to change, as opposed to being changed on the inside. In the place where we no longer even desire the thing. We're not fighting against it so much as we just, our heart has been transformed to be more like Christ where we change. Our heart is more like His. We no longer need that thing. Don't want to do that thing. We want to do the things that the Lord has always wanted. His priorities become our heart. And that rule is very important. God is the one who transformed us. And the disciplines don't do the transforming. They're just a way to open us up to the transformation. Last week, as we struggled with some of these things, you could hear that some of the struggle came from, I don't understand what this discipline does. Or this discipline is so similar to the other discipline. What's the difference? It's just a different act. They're all doing the same thing. They're all meant to open us up in some way. How? How they open us up? That's where the mystery begins. I can tell you how if you struggle with gluttony, how fasting may open you up to something because they're directly connected. I can tell you how if you never ever speak to God, how prayer as a discipline may change that. But again, they're not ends in themselves. They're meant to open us up to transformation. Ultimately, when we are more and more transformed, we desire those things more and more on our own prayer and spending time with the Lord and listening to his voice. So that's the hard part of trying to explain them. We have this image that Richard Foster in his book uses to remind us that there's certain things in our power, there's certain things that are not in our power. And last week we said, there's certain things in our power, which is like, like a farmer. He can like till the ground, he could do whatever he wants, he could plant the best seed, but he could water it, he could fertilize it, he could do whatever he wants, but he can't make the growth happen. That comes through causes and and things that are beyond his control. That's just the way the earth works. And that's kind of what our deal is with spiritual disciplines. We can do certain things to open the door and improve the chances that we'll see spiritual transformation, but spiritual transformation, like growth, is not in our hands. That's God's work. So last week we ended up with meditation. 
just describing what it was, looking at different scripture passages where people specifically prayed to God in the Psalms, for example, talking about how they meditated, how they listened to his word, reflected on his works, rehearsed his deeds, ruminated on his law. What, what was all that for? Basically, to keep those things in mind, it's an opening up of your heart. I challenge you to try it this week. Anybody actually try it? Anyone? Yeah, I tried it. It didn't work very well, to be honest. I sat there for a while, and then I started to get sleepy, you know? What's the difference between meditation, and tonight we'll talk about silence, and prayer? Aren't they very similar? Sure. They just have slightly different acts. But the end result is hopefully all the same. So in this case, we're actually just spending time, just meditating, filling our mind with the things that belong to the Lord. I even said you could meditate on nature and creation, just spend time just focusing on all the great things that he's created, all the beauty that's around us, all of those things. And it renews our mind, brings us into his presence, teaches us, nourishes us, just like Jesus spent time dwelling and saying that man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So here are some things that I told you last week to start to look for. How do I know that I should even be engaging in this? This is where we closed off. You're often encouraged by sermons or readings, but you quickly forget what you've read or heard. It just goes out of your mind. So spending time literally recalling the words of the Lord, recalling his deeds, even recalling notes that you've taken, spending time just focusing on those things just brings them back into mind. Not for memorization, you're just hoping that spending time with God and his word and his works and his creation and his deeds and the things he's done in your life opens you up to that place where you become more and more like him. If your mind is cluttered, you're too hurried, which is something that happens to me all the time. I cannot center myself down to spend time just being with the Lord. My mind is constantly racing and going to different things. That may be a sign that maybe this discipline is one that I should be practicing for an extended period of time. Like I said, I tried it this week and my mind was all over the place. And then I got tired and I started to fall asleep. Okay, but are, do you stop there? No. Here's one that I think we are all really need to look at. Most of us, the time that we spend with the Lord is often in groups. That's the only time we spend with the Lord. And I don't want to generalize. Some of you may have vibrant times alone with the Lord. But for most of us, the time that we spend with the Lord is in a group setting. We have appointments with other believers to spend time with the Lord. We rarely spend time with the Lord alone for extended periods of time, or even, I would dare say, meaningful periods of time. And that's something that says maybe this discipline is something that you should adopt. Last one is your prayer life consists mostly of you doing the talking without any extended times of listening. Last week, we wrestled in here, Philip and I did for a while, and we continued talking about it during the week, about what it means to listen. Is it a passive thing, or is it an active thing? And I'd really encourage you to think of it as an active thing that you have to do, you know, to spend time. And you may not hear anything for many, many, many years, and you would not be unlike most people in the Scripture. I mean, if you read the Scriptures, it seems like God's talking to people every other day. But look at their lives. Look at how many years would pass sometimes before he would speak that didn't say that they weren't going to spend time listening. It's very hard to undertake that posture of just sitting there and spending time to listen. Let's move on to one more that should be pretty easy. Stillness and silence. There it is. It's the end. Let's just go home. <laughs> Stillness and silence. What is it? I think we understand 
what it can be. Anyone ever been on a silent retreat before? Anyone gotten anything out of it you want to share that was good? <laughs> That's been the experience of a lot of Christians. Like, yeah, you got to go on one, but then you go and you just, you hope it's somewhere nice in nature so at least you see something pretty before you go home and think, I don't know what that was about. Yeah. I mean, here's my thought. I mean, yeah, I haven't had, you know, mountaintop moments with them. I've only done one or two to begin with. Um, but I think just the idea of how, how busy we are is, is a serious problem in our culture. We just don't stop going and stop thinking. It's very hard for us to ever stop that. And so that, in and of itself, I think that can be a value that really helps to bring you back to, you know, deeper relationship, uh, a lot of just revitalization in a pretty busy culture. I know my life's nuts, and most of the people in here are as well. So I think that has a lot of value. Okay, well, we know up here I've said silence, stillness. What is it? You withdraw for a season. Could be a few minutes. Could be a day. Could be some people have done it for weeks and months. Some of the people that are dedicated have taken vows of silence that have lasted years. Some of the reasons you might do it, again, from Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I'm God. We often saw Jesus in Luke 5 and other places constantly. In fact, if you go back and look at Scripture with a lens towards how many times did Jesus go off by himself, it's more times than you would probably remember just reading through them when you put them together. There's often a, a, almost like a correlation like Jesus does something pretty amazing and he goes off by himself for a while. Spend time. I wonder if that pattern is something that we emulate. Maybe that pattern is something that just happens when he would encounter those kinds of events in his own life that he would spend time with God in solitude. For example, right after feeding the 5,000, you know, you'd think that's a high moment. Like you just fed 5,000 people out of just a few loaves and fish and all of a sudden, you know, there's like excitement everywhere. He goes off and spends time in a solitary place to just dwell on what's going on in stillness and silence. Solitude and silence usually go hand in hand. They're not exactly the same thing. But solitude often is accompanied by silence. Richard Foster says this, solitude is not loneliness. Loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. Other people describe solitude as having a place in your heart that's kind of like a sanctuary for the Lord. Solitude is very similar to that concept we just talked about in meditation. Like Eastern meditation, we said, was like emptying your mind and trying to get everything out of your mind, whereas Christian meditation is really dwelling on God and filling your mind with God. Here, solitude is very similar. So if you're looking for distinctions between them, and they, they overlap. Solitude is a place where you can be alone, but filled with God's presence and with time with him at the same time. You may even be in a crowded place and still find solitude. It's harder, much harder to do in a crowded place. But if you're spending time alone with the Lord wherever you are, that's a pretty good indication of solitude. What does it do? Why would you even look at this discipline? It forces us to stop talking and using our tongue. So much of our actions and so much of the things that we could be receiving get blotted out because we're constantly on the offensive with our tongues, constantly the ones who are doing the talking. We let go of our busyness and our identity of doing. So Morgan mentioned busyness already. That's a good thing for us to keep in mind. For many of us, we pack our lives to the max. I mean, we're moving so quickly that I don't think we have any time to spend thinking, well, how would anyone get your attention? 
Even people in our own lives that are physically here right around you can barely get your attention. I don't know how we're going to hear or spend time much with the Lord. We're calming and quieting our hearts before the Lord. We're separating ourselves from routine and activities. We let go of social contact and conversation in favor of communion with the Lord. And as I said at the bottom, silence and solitude go hand in hand. They kind of need each other. They often go together. And that's the condition that we're looking to do as a discipline. How would I know that I need these things? And this is where I want to kind of focus our time. Think about each of these and if they describe you. The scary thing for me as I was writing them down, I think every one of these is one that nails most of us. They nailed me completely. You're perpetually busy from one thing to another. It's a mark of who we are. You've heard me say before, like, people now, they don't even ask you how you're doing anymore. They just go, you busy? That's like the new, how are you, right? You busy? You know, try it. As a, here's another spiritual discipline. Just try for the coming week to just say, nope. Just see what people say. Nope, I got nothing to do. What are you doing? We need constant noise around us. That's another symptom that we might want to exercise the discipline of silence. Even when we're alone, we're listening to music, television, anything. We can't really spend time completely in silence. Maybe you're driving somewhere, and immediately you're looking for something to listen to. Driving from place to place, like you're hoping that talk radio will numb you, maybe the music will numb you, something will get you from place to place. Like being alone, silent in the car would be very difficult for us. Or the noise of the crowd. How many people just go down to a place and just spend time just to be around other people? Have you ever seen that? Walk into a Starbucks and there's like 30 people who don't know each other, who aren't talking to each other, but they all just need to be around each other. Right? And they're not actually interacting in any way, but just being there, like as if the hope that something might happen or somebody might accidentally talk to you. <laughs> it's kind of strange, but that's kind of this, the way we are. We're constantly trying to drown out the silence. Your friends think you do too much or describe you as a workaholic. You take on more than you can accomplish. You hate to rest or take leisure time. You think you're the only one that can accomplish a certain task. I mean, if it's not you, it's not going to get done. If you can't get it done, it won't get done right. Like the weight of the world rests on your shoulders. You have to do it. You can't be alone even for a short time. You start to really get depressed if you spend time alone. You're constantly on the phone, constantly texting, constantly chatting, always searching for a connection. That's your generation, for sure. That's the students in my class here at APU that I want to kill. <laughs> I mean, you're actually saying something important and all they're doing is like texting, right? But it shows that we need to constantly have that connection. People need to be connected all the time. Like they can't spend any time alone without feeling completely lost or spend time in that silence. You're the one in a group who's mostly doing the talking and you're rarely one to listen. Maybe that's a reason to exercise the discipline of silence. So what do you think of that? You think any of those are legitimate? You think any of those? I mean, some of you are nodding your head going, yeah, that's me. Some of you are like, ah, it's not me so much. Because we hear about it, and then people advertise like, hey, we're having a silent retreat, and, and like, 
you know, you think like, oh, yeah, should I go to that? I don't know, that sounds goofy. I mean, it is, I guess it would be spiritual to go. What am I supposed to do there? And then they tell you, like, you can journal or stuff like that. And you think, oh, good, I'll just I'll have something to do, right? What do you think of the discipline of silence? Let's be real with it. Yeah. I don't know, it's just, it doesn't really make sense to me. The idea that not having, like, odd audio stimulus, like, that that's significant in any way, like, not having it. Because even, like, if you're journaling, I mean, but your mind's still thinking, you're still doing some things. I don't know, like, I, I struggle to see the point. I understand there's a lot of advantages for a lot of those symptoms and points you said of, like, more the stillness idea that you're not always busy, that you have free time to be able to do other things, and I think that's important, but the idea of trying to make sure that you don't have noise, like if you're driving from one place to another, like, not having music on, like, I don't see the point of that. Like, can, I, can I make one comment before we go on? This list, and this is my fault, mixes three concepts kind of together because they're all very related and I don't want to break them up into three nights. Solitude, stillness, and silence. So you have to think that some of them apply more to one than the other. They're very closely related. But for example, not having noise around you is more like solitude. You mentioned the one about busyness. That would probably be closer to stillness, right? Not speaking so much is more about silence. And they're, they're related in one way, which is why they're all on one screen, because those are the things that prevent us from really spending time with the Lord in some significant way. You know, if we're constantly listening to the radio, that's time that we could be spending just in solitude with the Lord. Or if we're so busy that we can't be still, that He can't even get our attention, or we're not even paying attention to what He's doing. Even in our prayer life. I mean, our, my prayer life is, is composed entirely of me talking. And even when I'm not asking for things... Even if I were just sit there and praise, 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 like I'm leaving no room to actually let that happen. And some of us, I think, are very skeptical to hear that God's ever going to speak back to us. Ever. But maybe it would happen more if I was actually listening. All right, so that, I just want to throw that caveat in there before we go on. Anyone else? Yeah. Uh, I can't help but wonder whether some of these things really aren't symptoms, more or less just preferences. I mean, for example, uh, I've really enjoyed driving in the car without any noise or music or anything like that. And I hate going to Starbucks because it's so loud. And I hate chatting on text and I am. But those are just preferences. Like, I don't know, I don't do those things because I'm spiritual or like more spiritual or like I'm in tune to stillness and silence. I just hate them. But uh, I strongly dislike them. Um, but the reason I just want to mention that is because I had colleagues um, you know, as in grad school, who would go to Starbucks because they, they learned better, you know, they studied better. And so, like, we could be studying, I don't know, something spiritual, right, something about religion. And they were there in the noise and the whole thing, and they just, you know, it, it made sense to them, and they, they were struggling and reading this, and it was, it, you know, connections were being made, and meanwhile, I'm sitting there like, oh, I can't wait to get home so I can at least do this. Um, so, like, I wonder what the difference is between something being symptomatic and something just being a preference. But, but that's a really good point for one reason. That goes back to why we're studying the disciplines the way we are, which is constantly reminding people that you're not supposed to be doing all of them all the time. Because for you, for example, it's possible that this doesn't describe the things that you do, right? Let's say you were driving in the car and you're not listening to music or you're not constantly surrounded by noise. 
I'd say, hey, that's good. You might not need to practice this discipline, but what you do need to probably do is now let's turn that into time with the Lord in another way. So I understand what you're saying, that, but I don't expect every one of these to hit every single person. There's some people who think, like, that's not even an issue for me. And we're not looking for the best way to study, by the way, right? Because, I mean, you could always say, like, I know people who go to Starbucks and study. Like, when I was in law school, I studied with headphones on an iPod, and I loved it. I studied better that way, but that isn't the way I'm going to hear from the Lord. That's just the way I'm going to study better. So the reason, though, that I, I think I'm using the example of studying is if, if this is, like, this is something that somebody struggles with, and so they say to themselves, all right, I'm going to go on a retreat, kind of remove myself from these things, which I do all the time, which are distracting me, right? So I've taken all these things out, so now I'm sitting in silence, Maybe I'll replace that by reading a book. And then I think to myself, well, isn't that just another form of busyness? Like, we've just replaced the, like, we've removed the symptomatic distractions, and now it's just, okay, now I'm just reading it. Yeah, that does kind of describe me. Like, I can't just be alone. Well, but we're not trying to be alone. We're trying to be alone with the hopes that that brings us to the presence of God. Like, Jesus just didn't say, I'm tired. I just got to go spend some time and just recharge because I'm an introvert. Like, that wasn't what he was doing, you know? And that's where we have to kind of understand what was the purpose of why he was doing it. What was he trying to do? Like, if I had just fed 5,000 people, I'd be so electrified, right? I'd be, like, shaking hands and going, wasn't that awesome? Man, you ever had fish like that before? That fish was good, wasn't it? I mean, that would electrify me. I would be just wanting to spend more time with people. I'd want to be, like, converting all those disciples and see, see, I did that, you know? I wouldn't be thinking, now is the best time to go spend time communing with the Father alone in solitude and to spend that time there. Because these are the kind of things that keep me from doing it in real life. I'm not feeding 5,000. I'm just driving to work. And there's obstacles in my way from even doing it. It doesn't come naturally. But these things actually even prevent what might otherwise be there. So that's why it becomes a discipline. It's not natural. I'm going to turn off the music in my car and actually practice the discipline of silence. Not because I think it's like, you know, I'm not trying to do something weird. I'm just thinking, if I can practice this discipline, maybe this is going to bring me closer and more into the presence of God, and it's going to begin to open the door to transformation. Do you have a comment? Part of stillness and silence to me, and from what I've read, like they talk about like the idea of like inner chaos. Just, and I know it myself, so I don't want to project on everybody else, but I think it's part of the human condition to, it can be difficult to sit there and say specifically, like, don't, don't pick, like, Jeremy brought up a good idea, like, well, we'll just replace it with reading a book. Like, it is hard to scrap everything and say, can I just sit for, let's say, the next eight hours <laughs> in some sort of reflection inwardly, uh, you know, time in prayer with God? Like, that terrifies me to even think about that. Like, I don't ever do this. I mean, like I said, I've done this maybe once or twice because people forced me to do it. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, that, sound, that does not sound appealing to me to sit there because I sit there, well, well, what would I do? Like, I think silence and stillness, like, it just has an aspect of that that maybe begins to open you up. I mean, I don't know, but that's where I see the, the power in some of these things that, that does bring a form into our lives. I mean, this one is hard for us, I think, because we just, we don't value it. That's the real aspect that I, I've, I've not, I'll be honest, I've not valued it. And what Morgan just said, by the way, before we look at these things and put into practice, I mean, we don't have to go to eight hours. That's kind of one of the reasons that 
I think with all of these disciplines, one of the things we got to do is start to put them into practice. Again, not all of them at all times, but as you recognize, go, yeah, that does, that is something that is going on with me. Maybe this discipline will help me to open myself up more. So find little solitudes in the day. What's a little solitude? Start with something simple, like maybe your commute. Start with something simple, like five or ten minutes. It doesn't have to be eight hours at the beginning of pure solitude. I mean, yes, yeah, solitude retreats, you know, the, the way they're built. But it could be something that you just spend, like, I'm just going to do it for 20 minutes. I'm going to try it for 20 minutes. But by the way, I think it's something that you need to exercise as a discipline. So you can start with small amounts of something, but just doing it once or twice is going to probably yield not much of anything. Like going to the gym one time, working out on a machine and leaving. Going, I, that didn't do anything for me. Right? Okay, well, that was a start. That's all that was. Seek out a specific quiet place, just so that you know where that might be. It's easier to find places of solitude if you know where they are. Spoken words. Let them be few and full. Even in our own communications among people, you've got to remember, the Holy Spirit speaks even in this room when people communicate back and forth and we talk back and forth, even in your conversations with other people. There's lots going on, but we miss so much of the communication that happens because we're so busy talking and thinking about the next thing we're going to say. Imagine if you just took a listening posture even to other people that you're spending time with. I mean, it's very possible that God could speak through them. Especially, I mean, if we don't believe that, that God is speaking through the fellowship of believers together, then why don't we even hang out together? You may be thinking about something, struggling through something, and another person could actually be speaking words that are directly given to them by God. Try to go an entire day without words. And pay particular attention to your feelings. A lot of people describe when they go a whole day without speaking, they get very depressed, isolated, helpless. They feel like the dependence on words is so important to note sometimes. It's just an exercise. It's a discipline. Well, what is that going to do? It's going to show us how much we depend on, what, on our own speech. Spend time alone several times a year to plan out your goals. Just spend time alone with the Lord. That's one other thing you can do as a discipline. Actively listen for God's voice during times of solitude and silence. Take the Sabbath seriously and incorporate silence. We already have heard Morgan talk about the Sabbath as we covered the book of Matthew. We've looked at another context, even in our Bible study that we've done on Wednesdays. Many of us have not really ever taken the Sabbath seriously, so that would be a step and incorporate a period of silence into that as well. Don't take on any new responsibilities or activities without first spending time trying to evaluate whether that's something that the Lord wants you to do. That's to cure that whole busyness and to get us closer to stillness. A lot of times we're very eager to jump into anything and everything, and maybe spending time as a discipline, not engaging in things for a while. Not just like responsibilities and ministries and Christian things, but even other activities that seem fun. Because sometimes our social lives, our fun stuff that we do can get in the way and cause us just as much busyness as work and obligations that come in ministry and other things as well. We're running from one thing to another, and then we're not able to even slow down enough to think, well, if, he's, if God was going to even try to have a relationship with me in the silence and the stillness, I have no time for it. Yeah? I've kind of had a lot of forced silence. Um, I've been 
solitude and silence. I was laid off from my job, and um, I can just kind of attest that it's really valuable to me. And I do kind of run um, as an introvert mostly, so I like I like my alone time. But um, I have been struggling pretty seriously with depression as well, just with losing the job and feeling really isolated. Um, but I've been trying to work on turning that into purposeful, being purposely by myself and um, learning to listen and learning to reflect on the needs of others and things that I can do. And it just, it has been really valuable. It took a long time to learn how to do it in a way that made sense to me and was valuable to me. But, I mean, just like with all things, you have to kind of feel it out first and you have to try it more than a couple of times. But um, it's, I've gotten a lot of good out of it. Yeah. Yeah, just a question kind of on the point of turning up music. Um, I think for me, the, the music is almost like a white noise sometimes. For, like, I actually can focus a little bit more if something else is going on. And, um, I kind of wonder, is that something I should be trying? I mean, is it better to shut it off? Because I find myself getting more distracted if there's nothing going on then. I think that's very hard to answer because the reason that music and all those things are there is because we can't be alone and we can't be silent, right? I mean, just the fact you described it as white noise is very interesting because the whole concept of white noise is for people who need to have noise just to be able to sleep or to be able to think or whatever. And I think for a long time that may be true. Like, you will only be able to focus that way because we've trained ourselves that way. But I can't tell you that the only way you can ever really commune with God is in absolute silence. I mean, that's just not true. So it really just depends on, is it the thing that's distracting you from spending time in true solitude? As I said earlier, like, I've heard descriptions that you can actually be in complete solitude in the midst of a crowd. So it's not the crowd that's the issue. It's also said that a person can be in the desert and never find solitude and be all alone. Because solitude is not, like I said, like the emptying of everything. It's the filling of your time with the Lord alone. So I would say the same things about the other things. Like if, for example, you were listening to music and you thought that focused your time with the Lord better, that brought you closer to Him, brought you closer to the thing that's going to open you to real transformation and time with the Lord, then I would say don't throw that out. I would question, though, whether it's like one of those things where we've become so addicted to it that we can't focus without it, but if we ever practice the discipline correctly for long enough, that would be true for a while, then eventually we'd wonder how we ever got along with all this white noise around us. But what's more important is not that you be in silence. It's, it's what's more important is that you find that time with the Lord because that's where this transformation begins to happen. I would dare say most people in this room we know the things we shouldn't do. We know what we should be doing. And we're always trying to do it on our own. And we know that God's supposed to transform us, but we don't even understand how. And this series is trying to make that connection for the first time for some of us to say, these aren't things that we just do because they're the Christian things to do. Like go to a solitude retreat and read the Bible enough times and meditate for some time and pray that they're actually supposed to be doing something as well that goes beyond just those things as ends in themselves. How many people drive around with music or radio on of some kind? Anyone not other than Jeremy? Anyone not do that? Like, just don't do it? Okay. Here's the challenge for you this week. For those people who do that, 
I'm going to actually challenge you this week to go the whole week without turning on the radio in the car. Okay? <laughs> Anything. Just silence, all right? Oh, there you are. You finally woke up. All right, there you are. That's why we're calling this an experiment. I'm not saying it's going to work, and I'm not saying you have to do it. That's my challenge. Just try it. By the way, I listen to music all the time, all right? And I've tried this. It is so hard to do. And I can justify a million ways that music helps me to think and focus the same way. But what I'm really wondering is, what if silence helped me to think and focus in other ways I haven't even thought of or known about? Not that they'd even be better, but they would be different in some other way. And I've actually fasted, if you want to call it that, or just tried a discipline of solitude for a week. And I've done it a number of times where I will not listen to anything in the car just to force myself to be alone first with myself to figure out if I can even do it and then hopefully to spend time alone with God in the same way. And I got to tell you something, it's not easy for me. And I'm not saying, hey, let's do it because it's hard. Let's flog ourselves. Let's wear hair shirts and walk around and act like monks. I'm not saying it for that reason. I'm saying it because it's just possible that because our generation is so used to that kind of noise and that music that we love or whatever it is and thinking, oh, that's going to help me focus. It's very possible, yeah, it might, but it's helping you focus in one direction. And maybe if we did that discipline long enough, it's just possible something else might happen. It's just something to try. Yeah. I just, I always am curious about, like, um, maybe it's one of those things that when we notice it's becoming too much of one and not the other, that we need to kind of bring some balance back. But... And that's the comment that I think keeps us from being very legalistic. It, you're right. There are different ways to practice it and different seasons when to practice it. And there's some things that are good for some people and that aren't going to work for other people, and that's kind of the point. But I think that should signal something, because um, there's a corollary to the idea of, I can't think unless music's on. So if music isn't on, I mean, because I know you can think without music, obviously. Newer, you know, but that's the type of thing where it's like, am I dependent on something else to have... Um, where, where that's why if, if it evokes a response, I mean, it's just that says something. So maybe that's what to sit with. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, Matt. Um, I don't think it's goofy, and I, I think it's practical and realistic, and I'm all for it. And it's healthy, too, I think, to slow down and relax and stuff. I know me. I, I grew up part, partly introvert and was always really busy. Like, I mean, 10 years old, reading in the car when I was driving. Probably from when I was 10 to 20, like I had something in front of my face the whole time. Or I had music going or something. I was just always busy, ne neglecting my family and stuff a lot because I was so busy. Never watched TV, 10 to 20, rarely watched TV. And like recently, when I was about 20, this really hit me and I really did a lot more stuff on my own in silence. I went days without, or a day without, you know, just in complete silence and hour walks and stuff. And it's helped me to like find peace in life, I think. And during this time, you can reflect on like what's God's done in your life, what God has done in your life, and the love He's shown you and stuff. And you can learn and think and reflect and stuff. And I think it's really healthy and worthwhile if you do it. I know it's hard, and I know I probably should do it more, but I'm at peace in life, and it's an awesome feeling. I think when you find that. Okay, Joe. Sure. In terms of backing, I would just say that it's it's kind of surprising what's there when nothing else is. Like if you don't have any noise and you don't have any kind of external stimuli coming in, it's interesting what kind of crops up. And that's just you. And I think there's an intense value in kind of just 
like Morgan was saying earlier, getting to know yourself, getting to know mm -hmm. what's there without anything prompting you, without anything influencing, um, just being happy with you. And that sounds kind of like, ooh, <laughs> but I think it's important. I think it's, it's really sad when you can't, when you're so used to something coming in, that you can't just be happy with what's coming out. And it's not just a psychology thing because a lot of people counsel that if you're gonna ex if you're gonna find real solitude, meaning like meaningful, fulfilled time with the Lord wherever you are, that you first have to kind of get comfortable with you being by yourself for a while. You need to make room for the Lord, in other words, because and, and people talk about it, it's a little bit weird at first. That's why I say for some of those people who can't or have like just try it. If you constantly need noise around you, try going without the noise for a while around you. Just try it. And, and do it for like an extended period of time because it helps shake you a little bit and make you feel a little bit more comfortable with just being alone to make that room. It's, it's kind of like a first step. I want to comment on something that Jeremy said just about these like symptoms and things that we're doing. You know, what we've done in this series is we've synthesized a couple sources, as we always do. We never really rely on one source. And the reason that I've kind of highlighted some of the symptoms that might trigger these things is because for a long time, when people taught the spiritual disciplines, I've identified two problems, one of which I've repeated a number of times, you know, which is that we tell people to do them all, so they're juggling and they don't know how to do them all, and they just do none of them. So that's the first reason. The second one, though, is most of the good books, including Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, which is like probably the, one of the top books on, on, they never really tell you when am I supposed to do this, what to look for. And one of the people that really influenced me in this series was Paul Thigpen, who really went back to the ancient early church fathers who really knew how to practice the disciplines. And communities of people who practiced the disciplines, and they actually left the cities and went out into the desert to live in these communities where they could spend time teaching and mentoring other people on how to live the spiritual disciplines to find true spiritual transformation. And in that article that he excerpts from his book, he spends a lot of time focusing on how do you know which one you need at which time. And he looks at how the early church fathers would mentor people who would come to him and say, Father, I think the problem I'm having is that I'm not praying enough. And they would sit down and say, let me look at what's going on. Have you tried this discipline to help you? Not like, hey, do these like 27 disciplines. You'll pray more. Like maybe we need to do this one. Or you know what, I'm feeling it right now that I'm not hearing from God in my life. Okay, maybe you should practice the discipline of meditation. Recall the deeds that God has done in your life. Maybe it'll help show you where he's taken you. Maybe you just need the discipline of silence for a while. Spend a week in total silence before the Lord and see if that brings you any closer in some way and if he begins to transform that part of you. So we're trying to do both of them. So it's not a perfect marriage of ideas. A lot of books tell you how to do a discipline, like here's how to fast or here's how to do silence, but they don't tell you really when you need to really pick that up and say, this is what I need right now in my life. So let's do the challenge. For those of you who drive around with music, one week, no music, no radio. You can resist the Lord if you want. That's fine. Don't worry about it. If you want, if you want to resist the Holy Spirit too, that's fine. You know, He'll speak to you in a fortune cookie if you want. That's okay. You know. Look, I know our group is skeptical about whether these things will actually do anything. Here's my only comment. There are lots of people who've written lots of books and lived in communities who've done a lot of these things and have attested to their transforming power. I just think we should give them a little bit of a chance and not like a one-day thing or a one-week thing, 
but start to say, maybe it's time that we stop struggling with these sin issues in our lives. Maybe we stop trying to figure out how we can make transformation happen on our own and let God do his work. And if these are tools that help to open us up and put us in a posture to do that, then that's really why we should give them a chance. A lot of us are still, I could see it on our faces, but hundreds and hundreds of years have gone by of Christians who have taught and mentored others in how to do these things. I think we in our American church, especially in the last 20 years, we're good at being detached from everything else and kind of like, let's learn everything from scratch. Let's do it our way. Maybe we should go back and reconnect with a more ancient tradition of Christians who really saw true transformation come from and attested to it. So I think that would at least be a fair thing for us to do. Yeah. Here's my struggle. It's like, well, like obviously, yeah, trying it once is not giving it a chance, or even trying it for a week is not giving it a chance. And there's no, that you even said, and I agree with you, that we can do these things, many of them, and not expect or not get any results after a year, two years of doing it. And so it, I feel like that it's not necessarily worth doing unless we're committing to doing it forever. Yeah, and I think it's fair to point out, when does this cha- where does this challenge come from? Is it, is it just because ancient church history, you know, told us that they did this? No, actually, the real reason even they did it is because Jesus modeled it and told them to do it. I mean, let's not forget that like some of these disciplines, like when you fast, when you pray, when you give, like he spent time in solitude. He's like, hey, you guys come over here and pray, like do these things with me. Like those were things that he was expecting that they would do. They were doing even before Jesus was on the earth. And they were, there was always an expectation that many of these things would be done. So I don't want to make it say like, hey, there's some ancient Christians who discovered this and we should not ignore them because, you know, they might know something we don't know. I mean, they took very seriously the fact that Jesus was saying, these are things that my followers would do and these are ways that they would happen. And they watched what Jesus did and how he muddled it. And they thought the same things we think. Like if, if he's part of this triune nature, why would he have to go spend solitude time with himself or with God? How's that, how's that exactly work, right? I'm sure they thought the same things and yet they still, instead of just saying, ah, chuck the whole thing. It's kind of weird. They go, hey, if Jesus did this, and even Jesus had to do that, who was so much more connected to God than we could ever be, then I think we should do this and take it so seriously that we would like orient our entire lives around it. Now, not all Christians did that, but whole communities of Christians oriented their entire life around the disciplines and attested to the fact that there was huge spiritual benefit to it. I don't think we should ignore that. Like, when I started driving without any music, like, first it was kind of weird, but then I didn't want to turn on the radio anymore, like, after a while. So I think it's not necessarily always, like, a challenge. Okay. Jeremy? Um, you know, does busyness play a part in, in helping us to identify when we need to spend more time in stillness or silence? And I know you spend a lot of time on the phone, but I know a lot of that time you spend is working. So is working busyness, or is it something that is fulfilling in a way that it doesn't apply to this? You know, what would you expect as a result of, hey, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, I work X amount of hours, I spend X amount of time, I'm gonna, if I'm gonna really change that, for example, what's the result gonna be? Spiritual transformation and loss of a client? That's where the skepticism or the, maybe it's fear or maybe it's just not knowing 
you know. Um, sure, there's some stuff that's busyness, like you're just wasting your life doing a bunch of meaningless activities. But busyness is no less of a problem when you're doing fulfilling things, even good things. And that's why I use Jesus as an example in that case. So I'm thinking, what could be more fulfilling than feeding 5,000, healing more people, spending more time preaching? Like, Jesus has a limited time on earth. He's got three years, that's it. He knows his time, and, he's, and he could be spending it in better ways than spending time with the Father. He'll see the Father enough for eternity later, right? But that's not the way he acts. He sees that even in the midst, and not just once, not just twice, but repeatedly, you see this thing where like something happens and he goes away into the hills to spend time with the Father. And, and we might say, like, but Jesus, you've got a limited time here. I mean, you know, you've got all the time in the world to spend with the Father. I mean, what are you doing? Can't we spend more time reaching more people, doing more stuff, even fulfilling stuff, like healing some people? Like, you don't even have to do any more miracles of feeding. How about we just heal more people? So it's very easy for us to rationalize. And I'll tell you, I confess, very easy for me to rationalize that everything I do is not meaningless. It all has meaning, and it's all very, very important. And I'm a very, very important person with very, very important things to do. And Jesus actually would probably say, you're not that important. <laughs> it's not that important what you're doing. Spend time with me. Remain in me. Abide in me. Spend time with me. He's not going to say quit your job and do nothing but spend time in solitude. But yeah, even if it potentially cost a client or potentially cost a ministry opportunity or potentially cost like one more thing that like do you have to teach that one thing now let it go let somebody else do it I think you'd say yeah err on that side I'm the provider what do you think you're going to do everything on your own that's not even biblical yeah I think too like we need to have faith we need to step out on a limb and just trust that God is going to do those things and to not doubt so much like I just I think I hear so much doubt everybody is looking like four results in a short amount of time and there's a possibility that you could do it for 10 years and never hear God's voice but so what like you're still doing it and you're still being obedient and doing what Jesus wants us to do and what he like he modeled to us what you're saying I just I don't know I just I feel like so many people are just saying like okay well here's our expectations you know you need to do this for us like who are we to say that? He, I mean, come on, like, he can do anything. That's when you look at the Bible and you see so many examples of God giving people promises or, and it will be years before God even fulfills it. And it's a way of saying, wait on me, seek me, even though they have an idea that God has something planned, but yet God's saying, still seek me on this. I don't know how to describe it. I'll take Jacob. I mean, I use Jacob as an example all the time. Jacob heard from the Lord once on the way into the whole thing of marrying the two sisters. He heard from, and working for Laban, he heard from the Lord on the way out. There was a 20-year period in between them recorded in Scripture. I mean, and we think, like, that guy was in touch with God all the time. Like 20 years passed, and he didn't hear a single thing from the Lord. Like, I don't know why, where we get the idea that he's going to be talking to us on a daily basis. But it's not like an all or nothing thing at the same time like it's not like you either do your God or you don't he will still come for you he does still bring to mind people you should pray for he does still care about you he doesn't just kind of like ignore you and then you know you meditate or you are silent for enough time he's like okay I'll placate you over here he's with you always he's with us always whether we notice it or not and I think it's not to be so results oriented where you're just sitting there saying okay this is what I want to get out of this, but to sit there and to understand that 
it's going to come in different ways, as different things, what you need at a time when you need it. I think a lot of us are falling into the temptation of thinking like if we do certain things like silence, solitude, that we're going to hear from God. Like there's the result again. We need to get away from that. The result, the ultimate result we're seeking is spiritual transformation. That's what we're ultimately seeking. Now, if along the way all those other things come as well, that's great. But I think we're looking too much for that practical result. Okay, let me close like this. What we're looking for is heart transformation. We're not talking about this discipline tonight. We talked about it the first week about simplicity. Simplicity and giving go hand in hand as disciplines. You live a more simple life to free up more things, and then you practice the discipline of giving as well. Many, many years ago, I struggled with giving. It was not something that I wanted to do because I wanted to make money and hang on to it. I also struggled with wastefulness because I, had, I was making money and I was spending it like crazy, like it was going out of style. I was convicted to begin those disciplines of giving and simplicity. Now, again, what's the result? Is it that like God's going to give me back? Am I going to hear from him? The result is a changed heart. But it took many, many years of simplicity. And, I, and if you look at my life, you think, you don't live a simple life. You should see what it was like before. It's headed that direction more and more all the time. And giving all the time as a discipline. In the last 10 years, here's the result. Is the result how much I gave? Is the result how simple my life is? No. Just like if you sat in silence and solitude, the result that we're looking for is not just that you're going to hear from God or you're going to commune. That's part of it. But the ultimate result is the changed heart. My heart is so different than 10 years ago. My heart breaks now when I see wastefulness among believers. My heart breaks when I see people who cannot and will not free themselves up to give generously. My heart changed. That's the ultimate thing we're seeking. We're not seeking just more money and better simplicity. We're seeking transformation to have a heart like the Lord's, who also, when he saw the same things and preached against him, his heart was also breaking. And so my heart in small part has become more like his. But there are many other places it's not like his. Because I don't commune with the Father in the same way. It's, I, don't, I don't spend time in prayer. I don't spend time doing the other things that we're talking about as much. Maybe in my life you'd say, well, then maybe you need to exercise this discipline or that one. And what's the purpose again? So that many, many years later down the road of exercising that over and over, I could see, yes, my heart has changed. It's become more like the Lord's. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do here. So yeah, Philip is right, by the way. It may take a long, long time. Don't focus on what the result will be of the discipline, either immediately or long-term. Measure the distance that your heart has moved in becoming more like the Lord's. That's what we're after. Let's pray and close up. Lord, this is your domain, things that we don't really even understand. You promise us that righteousness is a gift from you. You promise us that sanctification is that inner righteousness that is given to believers as we start to transform our hearts and they become more like yours. How do we do that, Lord? You've given us examples by your life, by the things and the commandments that you taught us about, and we're trying to put them into practice. And Lord, for those of us who are struggling in this room with those kinds of things, will you, in a supernatural way if necessary, Lord, show us how these things will change our hearts. Let us take a risk. Let us step out. Let us not just divorce ourselves from all the witnesses that have come before us that have testified to the great things that have come, 
when we took these disciplines seriously. Lord, we lack the discipline even to engage the disciplines. So cure us first of that and bring us closer to you through these disciplines. Ultimately, Lord, what we want is a heart like yours. We pray this in your name. Amen.